Listener Production. Hello, Tom Tilly and Rihanna Patrick with you. In today's briefing, the reality of life in the flooded Victorian towns. As rivers rise and more rain is forecast, we'll find out how locals are coping about the race to build a levee bank at Echuca and whether we've learned any lessons from the flood disasters earlier this year. That is in the second half of this episode. First, today's headlines. It's Thursday, October 20. The jury at Bruce Lamon's sexual assault trial will resume their deliberations this morning. The trial has run for a total of 12 days and 29 witnesses have taken the stand, including two high-profile senators, Michaelia Cash and Linda Reynolds. So 16 jurors were originally selected. Um, Four have been cut by a random ballot. So now there's 12 remaining jurors, eight of them women. And they'll be considering all the evidence that's been presented to them. The judge, Chief Justice Lucy McCallum, told the jurors they must find Learman guilty beyond reasonable doubt in order to return a guilty verdict. She urged them not to be swayed by public opinion and that the principal issue in the trial was whether sexual intercourse took place and if it had, whether Miss Higgins consented and not to make assumptions about why it took so long for Brittany Higgins to file a police report. McCallum also noted there's no blueprint for how a young woman might respond to a sexual assault. And Bruce Lehman, the former Liberal staffer, has pleaded not guilty to assaulting his then-colleague Brittany Higgins at Parliament House in 2019. The cost of the Bureau of Meteorology's much-criticised rebrand has been revealed $220,000. Yeah, so that's a much bigger number than we initially heard, which was around 70000 So, uh, yeah, it's pretty expensive and we now have to call them the Bureau. The figures show a breakdown. So it was $118,000 on brand strategy, $70,000 on communication and implementation support, and $32,000 on implementation costs. So no one's really liking this. No one likes to be told what to call it, anything or, or to have their taxpayer dollars spent on um, marketing costs. So the federal government's criticised it. Tanya Plibersek, the Environment Minister, said, my focus and the focus of the bomb should be on the weather, not branding. A damning review into Australia's response to the COVID pandemic has been released. It's found badly conceived policies, politically driven health orders and excessive use of lockdowns failed to protect the old, disregarded the young and abandoned some of Australia's most disadvantaged communities. Wow. Well, that certainly rings true to me. So the 97-page review led by the former public servant Peter Sheargold, a very well-respected public servant, and was funded by three private philanthropic trusts. So it found inequitable government support measures exacerbated existing social disadvantage. And so the death rate for people born overseas was 2.5 times higher than people born here. And socioeconomic status played a major role in people's COVID risk, with the poorest in the bottom 20% were three times more likely to die than those at the top. Yeah, and three out of every four COVID deaths in 2020 were recorded in aged care. Yep, and um, I guess some of the strongest criticism, the closure of schools was unjustified, there was inadequate protection of aged care residents, and brutal lockdowns and border closures were overused. Um, That certainly seemed to be the case in Sydney and Melbourne, where the lockdown stretched out for months, and then we had to give up on stopping the spread of the virus Anyway, but I imagine for you in Queensland, those border closures were kind of popular, Rihanna. 
Look, and it, I guess it also depended on who you talked to, but we didn't really see the same amount of lockdowns as elsewhere. Because of those uh, border think, closures. Yeah, we. I mean, we had those border closures for sure, and uh, we definitely had a different experience to everyone else further south. But I think one of the things that stood out for me from this report as well was looking at, you know, this establishment of an Australian Centre for Disease Control and how a more greater collaborative effort between governments, business, unions and community organisations could be used in the future and what learnings we have going forward. I think we'll be having this conversation for a while yet. A government spy agency is working with Medibank over a cyber attack it's believed to have suffered. So a hacking group is threatening to sell Medibank customer data unless they pay a ransom and that sparked a trading halt. The group claims to have stolen 200 gigabytes of sensitive personal information and is threatening to send the insurers 1,000 most prominent customers um, their own data as a warning. Yeah, Medibank is still trying to ascertain if the claim is true, which could put its 4 million customers at risk. And Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill has released a statement overnight saying she's spoken with federal police and support is being provided. Yeah, so we're just hearing about more and more of these attacks, you know, on these, you know, huge organisations that have the details of millions of Australians. Um, obviously, the Optus hack, and there was also a concern about Woolworths, Rana. Yeah, this um, uh, group of customers, I think it's about more than 2 million customers, um, which has affected Woolworths MyDeal online marketplace, which got hacked. And that sells everything from electronics to baby goods. But I think there's a bigger conversation here, Tom, about while we expect businesses to obviously look after our sensitive information, it's inconvenient when things Mm. like this happen, but it's even more inconvenient for you as a customer. So it makes me wonder if there's this bigger conversation around uh, you know, what is happening with cybersecurity in some of these places. Um, and I think when it comes down to cost and the cost of cybersecurity, it is a cost, right, for a business. Mm. Yeah, so you have to trade the cost against um, the benefit. And now that there is so much hacking going on, um, those those benefits of having your data safe are huge because the threat is so big. Yeah, and as a customer, I think you hope that your sensitive information is being kept correctly because, as we've seen, this can be a major upset for people who then have to go out and get completely new licences, new Medicare numbers, Mm, um, all of these things that get taken, and it's just a really major inconvenience at a time when you probably don't need it. Absolutely. All right, in just a moment, we're crossing to the flood zone in Victoria. Okay, to get the latest on the unfolding flood disaster in northern Victoria, we recorded this interview with Bianca Hall very early this morning. She's a senior reporter for The Age and is in Echuca. It's one of the hardest hit towns, about three hours north of Melbourne on the border with New South Wales, where the rivers are rising and locals are scrambling to prepare. Bianca, thank you so much for joining us there in Echuca. As you've been walking around town, what have you seen? What does it look like? Thanks, Tom. Look, I've never seen anything like it. Echuca is all but deserted. There's people walking around taking photographs and just shaking their heads. The river, the Murray River, as so many people would know it, it's a tourist hotspot. It's slowly rising. It's come up 1.52 metres in the past week. Those famous paddle steamers are just sort of bobbling along on the water. Every home, every business, uh, every shop is sandbagged. Some of the sandbags are coming up waist high. 
it's extraordinary. Bianca, tell us about this two kilometre levee bank that's been built in Echuca. I mean, how many houses are on the wrong side of that levee and will they be definitely flooded? We're told there's about 190 homes on the wrong side of the levee. The levee is stretching down the centre of suburban streets. It's between 1.5 and 2 metres high. It's constructed out of earth. They're actually still building it. It's just been a breakneck effort to get this levee built. And they're saying that it will be the difference between thousands of homes and businesses going under and not. But unfortunately, there are the 190 homes on the wrong side and they will cop it. Um, The other thing I should mention is the flooding is now expected to peak on Friday and Saturday. That is going to coincide with between 40 and 60 mils of rainfall forecast uh, between Friday and Sunday. So they're saying that when that rainfall hits the levied areas, it just won't have anywhere to go. Um, They're bringing in extra pumps to try to station pumps in strategic areas along that levee. But the question is where the water will go because the river system is so high and so full. So that's the concern now. It's a crazy situation, isn't it? This is, uh, I guess, a very different part of the country to, say, Lismore, where we saw those really fast, really frightening floods. This disaster appears to be happening in slow motion because, yes, there are concerns about the, the rain coming in the next few days, but this is really about that, that river, the Murray River, slowly rising, which means the town's had a couple of days to actually build a levee to get busy. That, that must be quite a strange situation to be in. It is a strange situation and people here, understandably, are quite tense. I mean, Echuca is an unusual place. It it translates roughly in Indigenous language to meeting of the waters. So you've got the Compaspe River, which flooded on Sunday, and that's now receding. That flows in to Echuca. Then you've also got the Goulburn River, which is carrying all um, all that flood water down from Shepparton and Marupna, which have also flooded. And they're all meeting and coming into the Murray River, which is now being pushed up and up and up. So it's like a train wreck happening in slow motion. Yeah, Bianca, I mean, what has the feeling been amongst residents that you've been talking to as they've been preparing for this and waiting for this to happen? Look, there is a real tension, but there's also been an extraordinary community effort. Um, People are just helping each other. We've seen school children joining in sandbagging efforts. Uh, people have made 200,000 sandbags in less than a week and distributed them to homes and businesses around the place. Everyone is chipping in. Um, you know, I've been spending a bit of time with the local paper, the Riverine Herald. They've been out taking photographs, interviewing people, you know, helping the community understand what's going on while they've been watching to see whether their own homes will go underwater. It's an extraordinary community up here um, and people are just just being incredibly resilient in the face of um, what we don't actually really know what's going to come. Um, when it hits, it will be big, but no one knows quite how much of a chuka will go underwater. So how are those locals feeling about the help that's coming from outside? Because, you know, in the immediate wake of the floods in the Northern Rivers earlier this year, there was a lot of frustration and anger. There was a frustration that the forecasts underestimated um, the severity of the storms that were coming. There was frustration at the SES, which struggled to keep up with the need to evacuate people. 
there was a lot of frustration at Scott Morrison's federal government and how slow they were to bring in um, the defence force. And then there was questions about financial support. So how has this emergency been handled? And do locals there feel like they're getting enough help from outside? The sense I'm getting on the ground in Echuca is that people are looking after this themselves. They are really self-reliant as a community. The ADF has come in. Uh, We're told that today there will be 400 ADF personnel on the ground. There have been quite a number already. Um, And Anthony Albanese and Daniel Andrews, the Victorian Premier, have announced a fair amount of uh, financial support They've announced $150 million for cleanup efforts, uh, including removing hazardous material. They're also giving people non-means-tested amounts of $1,000 per eligible adult and $400 per child and payments of $43,850 for uninsured households. So that help will be available. But in the interim, I think people are just trying to as quickly as they can, bolster their defences against this floodwater that's coming our way. How else are residents being asked to help? I mean, you talked a lot about everyone sort of pitching in with those sandbags, building that levy, but have there been other things that residents have been asked to be mindful of while they wait? There's been a number of um, emergency warnings on the Vic Emergency app, and that's being updated um, several times a day. We woke up overnight to more evacuation orders to more parts of Echuca. It seems to be um, they're issuing these emergency evacuation orders almost street by street. So I would urge people to keep an eye on that app. Um, People are also being asked to minimise their use of water, including washing machines and dishwashers and limiting showers and baths because the sewerage systems in Echuca are being impacted now with rising floodwaters coming into that system. Apart from that, people have been asked not to panic buy, although I don't think people here would consider it panic buying more stocking up because, you know, if people get isolated, it could be a number of days before they can actually reach the shops. So the supermarkets are running out of food, particularly bread and meat and so on. There's still fresh fruit and vegetables available and tinned goods, but things are running low um, in that way as well. And so in a flood disaster like this, how are people weighing up that decision to stay or go from their properties? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I know people in the cities are probably thinking, why wouldn't you just get out of there? Mm. Um, A lot of people here are wanting to look after their animals. Um, If they have livestock, it's pretty hard to pop them on a trailer and take them to the closest regional city. Other people, I think, are not quite trusting that the warnings of the flood levels that we're being told to expect will eventuate. Um, There is a a country sense of looking after yourself and looking after your own and not asking for help. So I spoke to a man who had been told to evacuate his property. He lives there with his mother and his sister is next door. He, instead of deciding to evacuate, has stocked up on food and borrowed a couple of boats and that's Mm. his plan. Bianca, you know, what are some of those um, impacts, I guess? You, you spoke there about, obviously, it's a farming town, obviously, it's a tourist town as well, but what what are the impacts that are going to be seen on, you know, those main businesses that come out of Echuca? Well, the impacts will be extraordinary, and not just Echuca, but surrounds. Um, we took a flight above Rochester, the neighbouring town that people will remember a good half of it went under water um, last week. So, Rochester is 
a major grain hubs, uh, barley, wheat and canola, those crops are all but ruined. Um, it's extraordinary the extent of the flooding when you're up in the air and you can see these hectares and hectares and hectares of ruined crops. That's going to take quite a long time to come back from. In addition to that, the Goulburn Valley, Shepparton, Maroopna and surrounding areas, that is Victoria's food bowl and to some extent Australia's food bowl as well. So there's citrus, there's stone fruit. Those crops are going to take quite a while to come back from. And there's also the dairy industry. Um, They're talking about throwing out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of litres of milk that can't be used and can't make it to the shops. And there's an awful lot of poor cattle that have been stranded and are still standing in floodwaters. So what other towns have been hit really hard? Obviously, Echuca, where you are, where it's expected to get worse. Um, Rochester, as you mentioned. What other communities? Shepparton is now in the clean-up stage. Um, nearby Maroopna has been issued with prepare to evacuate orders overnight. Uh, Bunbatha nearby has been told to evacuate now as of 4.20am this morning. Um the, the entire region is um, really on a tense watch and act or evacuate stance at the moment. Towns like Gunbower, Leechville, Turumbury, um, the Loddon Mallee area, it's, it's really extensive. And how long do you think this is all going to go on for? I mean, how long are you planning to be there? Um, I've extended my stay twice. Um, I will be leaving on Friday, assuming the roads are open, which is a life question at the moment. I think the flooding, particularly in Echuca and surrounds, is going to stretch out for some time. The levels of the Murray River we're being told to expect, so they're now predicting 95.6 metres above sea level, which sounds extraordinary. Um, when you think about 96 metres of water, it it is above sea level. But I visited a uh, part of the levee earlier this week and someone had made a marker in a tree of where 96 metres above sea level was and it was at my shoulder and I'm about 5 foot 8, 5 foot 9. So it's the significant floodwaters that we're being told to prepare for here. I would say it would be at least a week before those floodwaters really recede from Machuca if they reach that height and weeks and weeks of clean-up effort to come. That was Bianca Hall, senior reporter at The Age. So a lot happening in that town. You feel for those people living in the houses on the wrong side of the levee as the rivers rise and more rain comes over the next few days. Yeah, and there's nothing worse, Tom, than sitting and waiting. Listener.